Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Pulp Hockey Podcast with the great Ray Ferraro. Thank you for listening. We were back last week. Really appreciate the uh, tweets about uh, being back and how much you guys like the podcast and how much uh, you enjoy listening to Ray and myself, more Ray, really, than me. But, uh, yeah, we really appreciate it, and we'll be here each and every week. We've got part two to wrap up of uh, Ray's tremendous career in the NHL and how he got into broadcasting as well. And uh, we'll get into that and much more and uh, some training camp top, of course. Also, with things winding down, I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, TSN lead color analyst, 18 years in the NHL, member of NHL Tonight on ESPN2. Those are great days. Ray Ferraro, what's up, Ray? Uh, just uh, sitting in Toronto, got the game tonight, uh, Leafs and uh, Detroit, uh, and both teams are going to use their kind of their most of their A rosters, which is kind of kind of nice, kind of fun to see where guys are starting to be slotted in. And mm-hmm. um, it's funny you mentioned NHL tonight. I talked to John Butchergrass yesterday for half an hour. Oh, and, cool! Uh, yeah, we always uh, we always kind of giggle back at uh, how much fun we had and uh, doing the show with uh, with Barry Melrose and. Um, I mean, it was just such a pure hockey show. And because of the time, you know, the years, mm-hmm. um, it, was, it, it wasn't really fancied up to much. And it's, it was just three guys that really loved the game with a really cool staff behind us that pieced together all these highlights and did fun stuff. We, we loved the show. It was, it was honestly, it was about as much fun as I've had. Uh, doing TV and maybe because it was all new, yeah. but a lot of it because I was with uh, with Butchie and and Barry and um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and people don't uh, a lot of Canadians listen to our podcast. Looking at our stats, it's like sixty forty uh, Canada listeners versus USA. But as a Canadian who was down in the U.S. starting in late ninety five and barely barely home after that, um, ESPN two was a godsend. NHL Tonight on ESPN two was a godsend for hockey knowledge in america it wasn't it's it's still not as much as in canada don't get me wrong but back then in the mid 90s there wasn't much for hockey in the america and that show was fantastic it was it was a great run of highlights it was on every night it was it was my lifeline to hockey yeah no internet so you you know you had to scour around to see how your team was doing or uh wait for the paper the next day and see how the stats were and um you know, I, I remember uh, uh, a couple of days in particular, like one of them, we had to wait uh, to finish our show until all the games ended. And one of the one of the nights uh, was the five overtime game in, in Pittsburgh when Keith Primo scored for the Flyers. Uh-huh. And, um, man, we were cursing Steve Levy, who was calling the game. <laughs> we're like, just call a damn goal, Leafs, seriously. <laughs> And uh, because we had to wait to finish because right. not only did the show air live, but then it aired in the loop the next morning. And so we had to have the completed highlights. And we were like, 
like there's nothing in, in those days too. ESPN was a lot smaller. Right. You couldn't exactly walk to the cafeteria. There wasn't one. Yeah. And, and so like you're eating your shoelaces by two thirty in the morning, right? And so yeah. uh, we we had some. We had some pretty good, pretty good times on that show. Uh, absolutely. Um, also, you called the Leafs Habs the other night as well, and uh, you're, you're still in Toronto again. What did you make of the game uh, the other night? Uh, it was kind of scrambly a little bit. None of the yeah. Leafs, none of the Leafs guys were very happy afterwards. Um, what did you make? I of it? think this is what we're going to see. Not on a lot of nights, but mm-hmm. enough nights from Toronto where. Like some of the better teams in the league, like the very best teams, Tampa can be like this, uh, Boston can be like this. I assume there'll be night San Jose and Nashville will be like this. And they won't play very well, but because they're so good, they're so skilled, they'll score what Jeff Blaschel, Detroit's coach, calls easy goals. Mm-hmm. Like nothing will be going on, and then all of a sudden it'll end up on Barner's stick or Matthew's stick or Eric Carlson's stick or Kucherov's stick and bam, it's in the net. Yeah. They won't have had a shot for five minutes and all of a sudden they've got a goal. And that's what the game looked like to me the other night. Um, so if I'm from Toronto's side, I'm a little, I'm not going to say concerned, it's a preseason, but I, my concern for the Leafs uh, being one of the very best teams has always been about whether defensively they can choke off teams, whether they can limit the number of really good chances. I mean, last year, Freddie Anderson faced more shots than anybody in the league, over 33 per game in his 66 games. So I didn't see anything the other night that made me think that's going to be a lot less. No. No, not at all. And, and, that's, and that's concerning from the Toronto perspective. From Montreal's side, I was really quite impressed with how much more quickly they're playing. Like, they're trying to play what I'll call the modern game, as opposed to the old plotting style that Claude Julien's teams have played, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the puck comes back to your defense, they go D to D to up to the winger, into the middle, chip it in, try and forecheck. Now it's like, turn it around, get it back up the ice, Put pace and speed on the other team. Forecheck aggressively. I really liked it. I I really liked um, the way they played. Now they're not good enough, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other question. But to me, it looked like they were going about it the right way. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, it, Claude Julian is famous for exactly what you said. Let's let's win two one. Let's grind it out in the corners. You know, let's let's not. Have I don't it. think you can do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, they, they don't they don't call the game the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, the players are different. Physically, they're different. I mean, you know, five or seven years ago, you could have a bunch of big horses in the corners, and they would just hold the puck there, and eventually maul their way to the front of the net, and and you know, slam away at something. And now the guys are smaller. The cycles are not as physical. They're more agile and quick. Um, and the game has to go quicker because your opponents are all quicker. And so that's that's what I see where Montreal is is finally getting you know getting into the right section of the book. Okay, so lots of buzz in Montreal about the third overall pick this past year, uh, Kot Kanyemi. Did I get that? Kot- Pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I struggle. I'm struggling. Um, I, I I struggle with some names on this. Anyways, um, <laughs> guys were born in America. Uh, yeah. What's your What's your sense? Are they keeping him for nine? They can't. The kid looks 15 years old. He can't possibly last the year with the team, can he? What do you hear? What do you know? Well, he can he last the year? I, I don't have the answer for that. 
what I do know is, as of today, he's ready to play. Um, he is a, he's a smart, clever player. He never boxes himself in. Um, you know, he's got the puck, and in a place where you think a young kid or an older guy, for that matter, could panic with it, he doesn't. He moves the puck along. He makes the right play most of the time. Now, there's two deadlines that teams really have to worry about with an underage player. And an underage player, it's somebody under 20. So the first is nine games. And at nine games, um, that's kind of a, a deadline they have to worry about. That rolls into the first year of their entry-level contract, mm-hmm. which is a three-year contract. And teams initially didn't really want to go past that nine games. Now they seem to be a little less worried about the nine-game deadline as the 39-game deadline. Right. And the 39-game deadline, for those that might not know, that starts to toll the player's service towards free agency. And why that's so very important is a player, say he comes in as an 18-year-old, he becomes an unrestricted free agent after seven years. So that's at age 25. But if you go past this at 18, he tolls into another year earlier. And so you, you know, at the, at the beginning of his age 25 year, mm-hmm. now he's a free agent. Yep. And teams do not, do not want to do that. They lose a year of player control. So my, to borrow a line from my, my good buddy, Chris Cuthbert, who's my, one of my play-by-play partners, he, he's got a great line. He says, to make a long story longer, um, what, as we get into Kotkaniemi, I think he's going to play. Yep. I think he's going to stay. Um, I don't know in, in six weeks if he's still going to be at the same level as he is now. Mm-hmm. And if he isn't, Steve, they can just send him back. Yeah, He can go either to the American League because he's a European player, drafted out of Europe, or he can go to the Finnish Elite League to uh, his team, which is Asat Pori, which is one of the teams in the Finnish Elite League. So they have options still. Lou Lamarillo, who's now the GM, of course, with the Islanders, he's got this great line. I love it. And he says, if you've got time, use it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. They, they do have time. And so the other thing, uh, there's a trickle-down effect. If, if Kotkaniemi is going to stay, and again, I'll be clear, I think he should. Mm-hmm. That allows them to play Max Domi on the wing. That allows them to play Jonathan Drouin on the wing, where they're be- both better players. We saw what happened last year. They tried to shoehorn Drouin into yeah. the middle. It was a, a terrible decision, and it really screwed with his head, and I think, in, a, in effect, screwed his season. Both Domi and... Uh, Drew Ant are better, more creative players mm-hmm. on the wing. And keeping caught Kenyemi might allow them to stay out there. Yeah, that's uh, you're right about that. Trying to put Drew in as a center is something I believe you said early on in last year's podcast you weren't a fan of. Didn't think it was no, going to work. Yep. I, I don't know why they think um, – I don't know why they think it's going to work. Like, why don't they just take a defenseman and stick him up on right wing? Well, I think they said he played center and junior, right? He played some center and junior. (laughs) Yeah, so what? Right. Like, why don't I go play second base for the Red Sox? I used to play baseball when I was 19, which is the same age as a junior player. Yeah, yeah, good point. I was a, I was a, Honestly, I was a really good baseball player uh-huh. at 19. Right. So why don't I just go and play second base? Oh, because I can't. <laughs> right. 
Um, like, no, I, I don't know what these you know, guys. Sometimes I'm like, how the hell do they come up with this idea? <laughs> they just talk themselves into it, right? They just you, you know, want, you know what? Yeah. You're 100 percent right. They sit around the table and they go, well, look at our other options. Hey, why don't we try him? He yeah. played he played center four years ago. Right, right. Um, now I wasn't uh, paying close enough attention before Max Domi got suspended. There was talk of putting him in the center ice position. Was he was that working out before suspension? Well, I played one game. Yeah. You know, I so, mean, okay. you, all right, we don't know. know. So right. I don't know, right. but the answer is going to be no. Okay, all right. The answer will be no. Right. No, um, he belongs on the wing. Um, I, I don't. Again, I don't know how they would think this is a a good idea. Let's take a player that hasn't played this position in a number of years and put him at this position in the hardest league in the world. Yeah. Every other coach has felt that he's a winger, but no, because we'll try him in the middle. Yeah. Makes no sense. The league is skewing younger and younger. Kids are getting chances. Kids are stepping up and playing, you know, big-time big yeah, minutes. And guess and, what? The, yeah. One of the more veteran teams and one of the biggest teams won the Stanley Cup last year. Yeah. Yep. Now, I, I think, you know, like, just, you know, it, I like to picture what I say. Like, picture the pendulum, right? Like, you hang a, hang a rock from a string, and you push it one way, and it was older, 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 and now it, it's swung so far to the thought of younger players are mm-hmm. better than they ever have been. They're more talented, more skilled, more ready, mm-hmm. and they are. 100%, they are. But now I think that rock has swung way so far to the one side yep. that it's going to gradually settle a little bit closer to the middle where the younger players will be 22. But a bunch. if you have a team full of 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds, yep. you're going to get your teeth kicked in because the season is long. They're going to tire out. They're going to wear down. doesn't matter how prepared they are. But in your eyes, uh, caught – Kotkaniemi is ready. Uh, yeah. yeah. So just think, that's one guy. Yep. Yeah. And they've got Victor Mete on the blue line. Yep. He's 20 as well. So it looks like they'll have a couple of 20-year-olds. You know, eight, or right. 18 and a 20-year-old. You can't have five of them. Uh, and it may prove out that they're not ready. It may prove out that, um, especially with Kotkaniemi, it may prove out in five or six weeks that, hey, guess what? Kid's out of gas. and. Mm-hmm. You know, he's yep. got to go back and play at a, a level that's not quite this pace. The travel's not quite so intense. The games aren't so relentless. And there's nothing wrong with that. World Juniors in Vancouver this year. You'll have, it'll be competitive. Yep. You'll have a spotlight on you. You know, if you're, if you're him, you can play for Finland. Um, all right. Hey, by the way, uh, before we hit record, you said you, bought, you went cheap and bought a cheaper uh, headset for your phone. Well, it sounds good. Maybe the cheap headset is the way to go. You lost your other really? one. Well, this is what happened. I <laughs> I don't think I lost my other one. I'm gonna in in a absolute show of no accountability. <laughs> I'm gonna blame my 11 year old son on this one. We he was him? using my headset, yeah, because he was playing Fortnite, and of course, yeah. like everybody else right, in the exactly. world, and somehow it's not returned to where it was supposed to be. He swears he put it on my desk. Now, he very well could be right, but I'm going to blame him anyway because, well, he's 11 and yeah. he can't hear me. Yeah, he, so, we're not getting him on. So No. <laughs> so we could get the 8-year-old on. He'd fill up the whole hour, that kid. <laughs> he's, he, but anyway, so then I get to the airport. I don't have a headset. 
And so I'm like, well, I'm starting to look at these headsets in the, you know, in the gift shop and there's 32 different kinds and they're from $99 to $14. And I'm like, I'm not getting the $14 one. Yeah. I'm sure as hell not getting the $99 one because I'll probably lose it again anyway. Yeah. So $23. I'll try these ones. Well, sounds all right. Um, well, that's good. So you get to work on making this thing sound good. That's part of your gig. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do adjust some stuff, but it, but it sounds good. Um, I texted you yesterday. I, I don't text you that much. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, I texted you yesterday because I'm I'm I needed info. I am officially getting worried about uh, Nylander's deal with the Leafs. Uh, I was never concerned. I'm like they'll get it done. They'll get it done. This is normal stuff. Who cares? I'm worried now. Uh, this thing might drag into the regular season. What do you hear? What do you know? What do you think about this uh, Willie? Well, Nylander deal? I think it is going to drag into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nylander is Nylander, both Nylander and the Leafs are in a funny spot here. And the reason they're in a funny spot is because of Mitch Marner. And like Mitch Marner looks phenomenal. I said yesterday on uh, a couple of radio shows, he's a right-handed Patrick Kane. He's a wizard yep. with the puck. The more I watch him, the more I'm impressed. Same way it was with Kane. I remember Patrick Kane's rookie season uh, we happened to be in Chicago at the development camp. And Jonathan Taves was at the development camp because he had been drafted the year before. And Kane came out of the draft. It was July. So we're at the camp. And I'm with Cammy, my wife. And um, she's from Chicago. And, you know, right. you know, if you don't know, she's, you know, was the first woman in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I mean, she knows the game. Yes. We're watching. And she says, Kane is ready to play. I said, not a chance. <laughs> the kid looks like a ball boy right now. Yep. Like he's, he just picture him now. He looks so young still, but back then, I mean, he was like a teenager, which he was, but he looked like a 13 year old. Anyway, he comes into the season and I'm blown away. Yeah. That's how I am with Marner. Um, he's hungry for the puck. He's determined. He's got a, he's got an F U on his shoulder because he's going to show everybody all the time how good he is. That's what I think of Marner. And I think where the Leafs are in trouble, or not in trouble, they're going to have to yeah. make a decision, but yep. where it becomes really sticky is Marner is not a $6 million player. They're not getting him at $6 million. They're not getting him at $7 million. If Marner has the type of year, I mean, it's not like he's playing with a schlub as his centerman. Right. He's going to play with John Tavares, and – He's going. He's going to be, I think, in the seventy-five to seventy-five plus point range. He's looking at eight or nine million dollars. So if you're William Nylander, you're not signing at five and a half or six million dollars. Then you're going to. You always know when you sign the next guy's going to sign for more. What's your you uh, what, yeah? What's your number one rule about your agent told you a long time ago? Signing the a deal. second you sign it. <laughs> second you sign it. Be content yeah. and don't look at anybody else's deal. <laughs> right. Can't do it. And and you can't because it'll just drive you crazy. But if you're Nylander, you're going to get lapped if you sign for $6 million. If you sign for three years, your, your number has to go up because you're signing for a short term. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing. I hear lots of people and media people as well saying, oh, you know, maybe they'll give him a hometown discount. If he does... I will say to him, you're stupid. <laughs> right. Hometown discounts are dumb. 
Nobody ever asked the team, hey, why don't you give the player a little more because he's a swell guy? Yeah. It's always to the player, why don't you take a little less money so you have a chance to win so that you can keep your group together? Well, there's no guarantee the team's going to sign the right guy. What if they sign a guy you can't stand or a guy that plays and falls flat on his face? Mm-hmm. And when you're retired, are they going to help you out? Not a chance. If your play starts, you slip, if your play starts slipping, are they going to go, you know what? He's a great guy. We know he's minus 40, but he's a great guy. How many times have we seen teams go to players in the last four or five years, ask them to waive their no-trade clause, yeah. yep. something that they negotiated into their contract? Happens all the time. If you're, if you're a player, you find what you think is the most fair number, and you stick to it. Now, I think this is why it's a problem for Toronto and for Nylander. I don't think there's an easy uh, solution for it, and I do think it's going to drag just, past the start of the regular season. I don't think... Uh, Kyle Dubas wants to do it, but it just screams bridge deal. But I don't think anybody's talking about that. It, it's a longer term, right? From what I hear from media guys. Well, don't. The answer is don't sign a bridge deal because it's easiest. No. Okay. Right? Like yeah. no, you because then you just all you're doing is kicking the can down the road a little bit. Yeah. So you've got two years of Marlowe, and I'm sure that plays into this too because that'll be six million dollars that comes off the book. Like, eventually, Patrick Marlowe's going to start acting his age. I don't know when it's going to be, Yeah, but he's got, he's got three straight 25-plus goal years. He's 40 years old. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm really, his reputation had taken a bit of a hit at the tail end in San Jose. I think he's done nothing but enhance it over the last couple of years, in, in my opinion. But $6 million will come off the books. So let's play this little goofy exercise. Tavares, Tavares, as he wants to be called now, um, he's 11 million bucks. Matthews is more than that. Let's say 12, just because. Say they get Nylander at seven. Now you're at 30. You get Marner at eight. Let's give him eight. Now you're at 38. You've got four forward signed. Mm Mm-hmm. You have no defensemen, no goalies, nobody else signed. Okay, so Jake Gardner's an unrestricted free agent after this year. Yep. He's gone unless you pay him seven. So let's say you pay Gardner seven. Now you're at 45. You got five players signed. Oh, and then here comes Morgan Riley and Frederick Anderson. Yeah. Now what are you going to do? Yep. Yeah, Morgan Riley's got two more, three more, I think. Yeah, he's a four-year deal, I think. And, um, and this, is, this is where the John Tavares contract becomes something to really think about in the longer term. Did they really have to do that? I'm a, I'm a big John Tavares fan. I, I think he's a um, more than quality person. I, I'm, I'm always impressed with him as a person. I think he's an excellent player. But they had Matthews and Kadri. Did they really need an $11 million center? Don't, don't you ruin my dream. Don't you bring that up today. Uh, well, no, but it's, <laughs> right. uh, you, you know me, Steve. I yeah. could care less yeah. who wins or whatever. Right. I, just, I look at it you know, from, my, you know, from my drone as I fly around, and it's impossible not to see a log jam coming. And the logjam might be starting with William Nylander. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, yeah, you think it drags out then, huh? You think it goes a little while? I do because yep. I, I just, yep. look, I could be wrong in the way that, you know, Shea Theodore seemed to have nothing going on with Vegas. Yep. And then you wake up and bam, there's seven years. So when they say, yes, we're having conversations, they're having way more conversations than we know. They're not, they're not telling us guys, oh, yeah, I called Nylander yeah, today or right. I called him yesterday. They're, right. not, they're not telling us that. Yep. And Kyle Dubas and Brendan Pridham, who is uh, the Leafs cap guy, you know they're pushing the beans around on the desk trying to figure out how they allot everything to everybody in a longer-range scenario. They're trying to figure it out. Nylander's camp has this number in their head. You know that if, if I'm Nylander, the one contract I look at is Elias Lindholm, and I'm like, I'm better than him. I've produced more than him. And he just got $6 million plus. Yeah, I see Nylander all day in the six range when you look at comparables like Pasternak or those type of guys. Oh, he's not as... In no. my mind, he's not as good as David Pasternak. No, and Pasternak's six, Pasternak's six five. Six point six. Yeah, six point six. Right after Pasternak signed, Elias Lindholm signed. Mm-hmm. You can't just take one comparable. You've got to take a whole bunch of comparables. Yeah. Like four or five of them. Yep. And where some deals help, like when um Shea Theodore signed and Darnell Nurse signed and Josh Morrissey signed, those all happened pretty quick. And one helped set the market for the other, in, in my opinion. So right. if I'm Nylander, I was jumping up and down at Lindholm's contract. Yeah. Um, prediction. Give us a prediction. What, what's the range in how many years? Oh, well, I think he's five-plus yep. years. And I can't imagine it's under 6'5". Yeah, okay. All right. Um, where are we at with Gritty, the mascot? Introduced this week or last week by the Philadelphia Flyers. I like it. I'm on board with Gritty. I love the internet stuff on Gritty. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, if your mascot is supposed to promote conversation, <laughs> they've done it. Yeah. I'd like to know, though. This is Whenever I see something like this, Steve, because I'm not – I'm not a creative person visually at all. Like we just finished building a house and mm. you know, like the, they were like, so what do you want in the dining or in the, in the great room, the kitchen, living room area? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I guess the kitchen goes over there. Well, it ended up on the other side of the house. Like I have no vision. Sure. I want to know how they sat down in a room and decided this was the mascot they were going. With. Right. Yeah. Who, who comes up with that? His hairdo, now this will date me, but people must know the show Taxi when it was on TV. I hope so. Maybe not. But yeah, look into it, does, kids. Does that hairdo not look like Jim Ignatowski? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I was, He's, yeah. I'm looking at that and I'm like, it's part Grimace from McDonald's. It's part yeah. Jim Ignatowski. The beady eyes, the, I don't know where the hell they came up with it, but... It is promoting, or it is generating interest. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I I did I did text a couple of guys in the Flyers organization that I know and said that was a swell looking fella you've unveiled today. 
I'm sure one of them was a, a goaltender for the Brandon Wheat Kings. Oh, I can't see. May or may not have been. <laughs> um, no, I like it. It's cool. Whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, it reminded me of Animal from the Muppets. I thought yes, I saw, very good. I thought of Animal right away. Um, again, dating ourselves, I'm sure, a little well, bit. Well, how about when he when he went down? Yeah. <laughs> so next to the Colorado mascot shooting himself in the nuts, right? This, this thing was outstanding when he. But when you think of it, it can't be easy to no. skate around in that bloody costume. No, for sure not. Right. Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, so I, I was uh, reading Down Goes Brown, a guy on, uh, I'm sure you've read his stuff before, and he, he mentioned that the Rangers were one of the only teams without a mascot now, and he suggested they they dress up an overpriced free agent as their mascot, which I really made me laugh out loud. But <laughs> Well, you're getting some bang for your buck then. Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, yeah, it was gritty. Got a nice name. Yeah, Philadelphia. Philadelphia suits the name Gritty, too, right? Just, yeah, well, yeah, I don't yeah. have any problem with that. I'm just nope. the physical <laughs> look of that. Now, yeah. you know the Canadiens mascot? They took it from they, the Expo. It's Yuppie. Yuppie, right, yes. Well, when we made the playoffs in 86 in Hartford, first time ever, mm-hmm. our trainer used to be the trainer with the St. Louis Blues. Okay. So we got to go to... Um, a ball game at the big O a couple of days or a day before the first game. So we go there. It was cold. We're sitting, we're walking a tour through the locker room. And actually Clint hurdle was the backup catcher for the cards. He wasn't playing that day. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a second inning. He comes through, he's got a coffee. He's like, yeah. Hey guys, how's it going? You know, <laughs> right. like nobody's in any rush to get out there. No. But so we're sitting there and we all got our St. Louis Cardinals hat on. And Yuppie comes down, and he grabs the hat off John Anderson's head. <laughs> and he grabs it and throws it on the ground and does a, you know, a big show right. stomping on the hat. So Andy, because he's, you know, he's a funny guy, he turns around and he grabs the hat off Yuppie's head to throw it on the ground, and he's going to stomp <laughs> on it. Gonna... Well, the hat's attached to the head. <laughs> and he's ragdolling Yuppie around. We were dying. It was Perfect. awesome. Oh, poor, poor guy in the UP costume was getting beat around. <laughs> right. He's like, man, wait a minute. I'd probably get free tickets to the game. Do I really need this? <laughs> right. He's lucky he didn't grab it off Semenko's head. I don't know if Semenko was on the team then, but it would have been around, the, around that time. So. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, no, Sammy, was, I don't think Sammy was on that team. Sammy okay. was later. Later. Okay. But, All right. uh, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, he just, you know, Andy's like fooling around. Right. Next thing you know, this UP right. guy's UP. bouncing around. <clears throat> I don't know how I felt about the Habs grabbing Yuppie and just making it their own, but hey, whatever. Yeah, I didn't really like that either. Right. Um, all right, hey, let's get into uh, wrapping up your career, talking about the second half. We we talked about the road from trail to the NHL, and it was great stuff, and a lot of people really liked it. And we left off. You got traded to the New York Islanders. Uh, Rick Lee and you did not see eye to eye. You got traded to the Islanders. Al Arbor, Bill Torrey. Torrey changed over a ton of his team. Uh, LaFontaine and Sutter out. Turgeon in, among others. And uh, and you're you're on the island now. It's a, your first trade, and your first your first your, well your first half year there goes pretty well. Uh, your next year there, forty goals, forty assists. Wow, you were a setup man that year too in ninety one ninety two. No playoffs uh, that year. 
that's a lot of assists for me. Yeah, yeah. If you look at your career stats, it certainly is. <laughs> but uh, again, you're starting to uh, uh, you know establish yourself with the Islanders, and you're seeing a team that you know is kind of coming together. And, and like you said, Bill Torrey did a masterful job of of changing things over in the dressing room. It it had to change because uh, you know the leaders of the team were Brent Sutter and and Pat LaFontaine, and they had gone to a point where they wanted to to move on, and so. Um, it, it's tough to, you know, to change a culture of a team. However, if you trade your two biggest personalities in the locker room, not that Patty was a talker, but he was, you know, I mean, he was the best player on the team by a mile. You, if you change it, you better change it right. And so, you know, Pierre Turgeon had been the number one pick in the draft a couple of years before, um, so there was the skill they went after. Benoit Hogue was a really talented guy that was just scratching what he might be. So they added some skill from Buffalo. They added some grit and Steve Thomas and Adam Creighton from Chicago. Like the team changed quickly. And we basically became this underdog kind of a blue collar team. And um, we didn't make the playoffs that first year when mm-hmm. I got 40 goals. The year that I got the my 40th goal, well, there's a pretty cool story behind that. That was the year still where you could get bonuses into your contract. Mm-hmm. So I think I had a $30,000 bonus for 40 goals. And Steve Thomas had about the same for 30 goals. So we go into the last game, and I've got 39 goals. It's against New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And Steve has 26 goals. And we beat the Devils, who had clinched a playoff spot. They played uh, their backup goalie. Brodeur wasn't in net. And we won 7 nothing. I got, I got a goal, and Thomas got three in the third period to get to 30. And so while that meant nothing to the team and their fortunes, both Stumpy and I hit our bonuses. <laughs> yeah, very, very exciting times. Yeah, so uh, we were like, man, the owners are up there scratching their, they're pulling their hair out. They're forking over money here that they're not getting back because we scored in a game that meant nothing. Yeah, funny, and then everybody, everyone on the bench knows too, right? I oh mean, yeah. yeah, like you know, I got mine. I want to say I got mine in the in the first period, maybe the second, but Stumpy had to come from you know a few horse lengths back right. to get his and. All of a sudden, somebody's like, hey, somebody needs two more goals for 30. <laughs> and it was a pass-a-thon. Yeah. Everybody tried to feed him the puck, and eventually he scored. Um, so, okay, so 92-93, like you, you missed a lot of the injury, a lot of the season with a knee injury, correct? No, well, um, no, I actually uh, wasn't a knee. Uh, I hadn't gotten to my knee problems yet. That wasn't until I got to Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, we were playing in Chicago in early December. And I got a breakaway. It was at the old uh, Chicago Stadium. Mm-hmm. And um, I made a deep to my backhand, and the goaltender stopped it. And so, you know, I made the move to the backhand, and I was starting to turn. Mm-hmm. And Cam Russell was chasing me back up the ice, and he shoved me from behind. And I hit the boards, and I broke my lower leg bone and dislocated my ankle. Ugly. And so uh, it was gross. And I looked down and like I was in, I remember it being just immediate immense pain. Yeah. And then I, you kind of, you know, I kind of went into shock a little bit, I think. And the next thing I remember, I'm up on the stretcher. And so 
the rinks, of course, this was the old Chicago Stadium. Mm-hmm. And there was no, you know, you didn't get wheeled out for the dressing room. I mean, the dressing room was down 25 Yeah, yeah it was a very unique arena. <laughs> yeah, so I got wheeled out on a stretcher into the corridor, you know, the lobby, yep. where they were taking me to the ambulance. So as I'm lying there, I'm in my gear, full mm-hmm. gear still. Yep, yep. Some guy walks by, he's got a beer and uh, popcorn, <laughs> and he kind of taps me on the chest. He says, hey, good luck to you, buddy. And uh, and walked away, and I'm, you know, like I'm just still yeah. out of it. So they get me to the hospital, which was kind of an inner city Chicago mm-hmm. hospital. Yep. And so I'm in the emergency, and I'm waiting for the doctor. And the room next to me is another emergency queue, and it says if you are the victim of a gunshot wound, go to whatever room it was. <laughs> I'm like I'm from Trail BC. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Right. So eventually the doctor comes, and so they got to cut all my equipment off. Yeah. They were more interested in the way my skates were built, <laughs> and they were cutting off my socks and looking yeah. at my shin pads, and eventually they get, oh, yeah, this guy's got a bad ankle. Yeah. So they, they know that I've got a broken leg. They x-rayed, and they know I've got a broken leg. Yeah. And so I'm going to get looked after. We're flying home the next day. Okay? Yeah. So I, they put me in some kind of soft cast, and I go back to the hotel. Well, overnight, a hellacious snowstorm hits Chicago. <laughs> we can't fly out. Yeah. We're delayed a full day. And you're just, I spent, you're dying. I'm on yeah. pain pills. Right. And having a few beers through the whole next day. <laughs> a few. I'm trying to self-medicate. Right. I'm playing chess with Glenn Healy. Like, he's just trying to kill the time with yeah. me. So the next day, we fly back to New York. Most of the airport is not taking flights in. But we happen to be on one of the lucky flights that lands. Now, the guys have a, a game that night. Right, so yeah. we don't land till like three thirty. So they're they're playing a game and leaving after the game to go on a week long road trip. So we land and the guys are like ants, yeah. like they're scurrying to get to. They got to get home yeah. and get new clothes and get back to the rink. Well, Tom Curvers, who's now the assistant GM in Minnesota, mm-hmm. he stays and kind of looks after me. I'm on crutches. I got a suitcase. I can't even move. Yeah, yeah. So. We get into a cab. Commercial we flight, by the way, too. Commercial flight. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> nobody's helping anybody no, at this no. point. Um, so we get into a cab, and about two miles out on the Long Island Expressway, the cab dies. <laughs> this, is, this is like Steve Martin or John Candy around anywhere? Yeah, exactly. So, but if Curves isn't there, yeah. I'm dead. Yeah. So the cabbie doesn't really speak English, and so... We're like, call on the radio, get another cab. He turns the radio up. He thinks we're asking him to turn on the radio, like we want to oh. listen to music. <laughs> so Curves gets out of the car, and he flags down another car, if you can believe this. Yeah. We get into the car, and the guy drops us off. He's not a cab. Yeah, it's just the, does he know anything about the Islanders? Does he know who yeah. you guys are? He drops us off at the Coliseum. <laughs> Okay. 
so I'm at the Coliseum. Still. <laughs> I, my wife picks me up and curb skedaddles home. Yeah. He's got to get his stuff to go, right? Yep. So now I get back to the rink and our team doctor looks at me and he realizes, wait a minute, they missed in the x-ray, they missed your ankle. It's dislocated. Oh, jeez. So he says there might be a way to fix this without surgery. Really? And that's okay. Yeah, and that's to reset it. Yeah. Jeez, and you, cast it. You would have thought they would have reset it that night. No. Yeah, that probably would have been helpful. They were too busy looking at your skates. <laughs> they might have been. Then nobody noticed. So Dude, that's a longer. Your ligaments are out too. Like with dislocation, your ligaments it, get stretched a, and it's a mess. Yeah. Steve, it's a mess. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm all for anything but surgery. Right. But I don't really know at this point what resetting it means. Yeah. So the doc goes, okay, it's going to hurt a bit. So I'm sitting on the table. I'm in my, like, gray workout shorts. Mm-hmm. And he grabs the bottom of my foot and <laughs> yanks it straight down to set it. Oh. So just as he resets it, Claude Loisel, who's not playing, he walks in the room, he sees me. I guess I got tears in my eyes. And he goes, and he had a cup of water with him. And he just walked over and handed me this cup of water like he didn't really know what to do. (laughs) So they reset it, put it in the cast. Two days later, I go back Mm -hmm. to get an x-rayed, and they're like, yeah, it didn't work. So they've got to do surgery, and I missed three months. Is your tib and fib also broke, or just one, or just the bottom? Just one. okay. And so they put a screw in it, um, set it, and then you wait, and then you start rehab, which is the loneliest, suckiest thing ever. Yep. And so I rehab for two and a half, three months. Eventually, I start to skate, and now I'm ready to play again. There's like seven or eight games left in the regular season. Was there any so, was there any issues with skating, like with the ligaments uh, and yeah, being dislocated had, and all that? Yeah, yeah, Steve, you know what? My ankle was... I, I had this thing taped like a cast. Yeah. And so I'm going to go to the American League and play two games on a weekend uh, to, you know, to see how yep. I'm doing. Yep. So I go to New Haven, which was like 45 minutes away. I play the first game. Get a couple assists, but I mean, I am, I'm way behind the play. I'm going left, the play's going right. Right. You know, I've been out for three months. So, but I also, the American League is so scrambly compared to the NHL. And I got a bunch of 20 year old kids running around, and I feel like I'm going to get my head taken off. The game was a little different back then. Right. So I'm like, I'm not playing the second game. Forget it. Can you do that? So I drive you back, can say that? I, drive, I called my no. I called myself back up basically. <laughs> so I drive back I to Long Island. Myself up. I like that. It's the next. It's the next morning, and Al Arbor goes, "What are you doing here?" And I said, "Al, I can't play there." I'm like, you know, I'm ready to go. He goes, "Well, you better goddamn better be ready to go." <laughs> and so up. I've got six games left. Yep. I play three of them. And it's clear I'm not ready to go. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I, it's a mess. Right. So Al calls me into the office. We have a game the next night. And I hear him say to the trainer, get me the seagull. 
and I'm in the stick room, which is on the other side of Al's office. Yeah. And I can hear this, and I can tell this is not happening. This is, this is not going to go well. So I kind of hide, <laughs> thinking, like, after 10 minutes, they'll find me, and, and Al won't be as pissed. Al will forget, right. So or not I come back, he finds me, like, and the trainer, the great guy, Joe McMahon, he says to me, hey, Razor, uh, Al wants to see you. Mm-hmm. So I go in there. I knock on the door, I walk in, I get one step inside the door. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not even kidding, one step. <laughs> and Al says, Siegel, you got three games to get ready. Because that's what we had left to the playoffs. Yep. Or you're going to be sitting with Claire. Claire <laughs> is his wife. And he goes, and she's been in the same goddamn seats for 22 years. <laughs> so I'm pretty clear this is not, yes. hey, you'll get to try it out. Yeah. So I'm just standing there, and he goes, well, that's all. Do you understand? And I'm like, yes. So I leave, and I say to the trainer, because we're playing the next day, Mm -hmm. I'm like, take all the tape off my ankle. Don't put anything else on there. Uh, I just got to try this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like I can't baby it anymore. I'm not going to play. Yep. And I got a couple of goals in the three games going into the playoffs, and then the playoffs started – and lightning struck and i had 13 goals in 18 games um and, and here's the thing like so it is a so funny, funny line. Yeah. It, it is a funny line that al told me i was going to be sitting with claire um you know like it, mm-hmm. it it's a great line but what i like best about the story is that al basically said look i'm giving you a chance i like you and yep. i'm giving you a chance but if you can't play, yeah. it doesn't matter that I like you. I'm going to have to play somebody else. He gave me the chance. He opened the door, and he left it for me. And I was able to score and play well. And our team ended up going to the semifinals. And, yeah. you know, there was no question. I, you know, I played a huge part in that. And it was, without a doubt, the most satisfying two months of my hockey career. Got a couple OT winners. You assisted on David Volek's uh, game seven yeah. winner against Pittsburgh. Like, yeah, what a what a playoff. What a what a well. Time. I'll tell you, scoring in overtime in the playoff is the coolest thing. And you know, like you you feel like this great elation because the game has just been a you know it's been obviously it's close. It's in overtime. They, the games mean so much. Yeah. You know, we lost the first game to Washington. We won game two in double overtime. I actually could have been credited with that goal, but they gave it to Brian Mullen, which was fine. Um, I scored the game winner in game three in overtime, game four in double overtime. Yeah. And all of a sudden we had, and that's in the space of five days. Yeah. You're, you're uh, underdogs to the capitals and they, they, like you said, they won, they win game one. The next three go to overtime, two of them double, and if you and if you're the yeah. Capitals, you're like, like you're just crushed. You're down three to one before you even know what happens. You're like five days. What the hell happened? We played for seven months, right. and now we got one game left. Yeah. And then we we lose game five, six four. Mm-hmm. I got all four goals. Yeah. And then and then we won game six, and that was the Pierre Turgeon Dale Hunter game. Yes. And so Dale Hunter, you know, three seconds after Turge had scored nailed him into the board, and he separated his shoulder. And it was just this hellacious play. Um, At the time, you he, know, was, the league, yeah, he was suspended. The league think, had yeah. a chance. Oh, yeah, the league had a chance right there to take a real stand 
on the extra BS that happened. Mm-hmm. They suspended Tur- or, uh, Hunter for 21 games. And so there was, they were right there. They had it. That was 1993. And then they let it slip away. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was- but anyway, we lost Turge for the next series. And we still beat Pittsburgh, which should have never happened. But Glenn Healy was amazing. We got goals from, man, we had no players. Travis Green was playing up against Mario Lemieux. He got a scratch cornea from a high stick. So Benny Hogue, who hadn't played center in a year, they moved him back into the middle. Uh-huh. Like somehow we beat the Penguins and moved on to the semis. We lost twice in overtime to Montreal, and, and that was it. But, man, it was an amazing run. Yeah. I remember watching it as a uh, as a kid. I was uh, amazed that Pittsburgh was losing. I could not believe that Pittsburgh was losing. They were so stacked. They, it was just they were coming off two cups, and, and you, you know you guys beat them game one. I remember, and then it was on from yep. there. It was it was a super competitive well, this series. Is the way, yeah. Steve, this is the way that series or that playoff. Sometimes it's just right for you. I played 1,258 games in the NHL, close to 100 playoff games. Yep. I scored one shorthanded goal in all of those games because I never killed penalties. Yeah. I scored shorthanded in game one against the Penguins. I came out of the penalty box. We were down five on three. I came out of the penalty box. The puck tipped. Tommy Fitzgerald dove and tipped the puck over uh, Larry Murphy's stick. I came out of the penalty box and got a breakaway. <laughs> like, yeah. are you kidding? Right. Like what? Later in, later in that series, Tommy Fitzgerald scored two shorthanded goals on the same penalty. Like this yeah. stuff just yeah. doesn't happen. Yep. Except it did. And I think now, I think you I remember where you were. My wife yeah. told me, Cammie, of course, she was not my wife yeah. at the time, but she was a college student. And, you know, playing hockey at Concordia University, and they were all jammed into their dorms, all the hockey people watching this game. Like it was, you know, people just couldn't believe that how the hell were the Islanders playing against Mario Lemieux and the Penguins? And, and, you know, somehow we ended up putting it together. And I want to say in that overtime in game seven, Joe Mullen or someone in Pittsburgh missed an open net. And it was just. I don't, it was just a one-timer. The net was wide open, and it flubbed it. Just stuff like that. Uh, you know? I, I don't. I recall a save on Ron Francis. Okay. And um, yeah, but I, I don't. But I don't remember a Mullen miss. Yeah. Um, uh, I just. I just found out years later um, that we were so badly outshot in that game because <laughs> my recollection, Steve, we were yeah. up three-one. Uh-huh. They scored twice in the last four minutes. So my recollection is we had the game in hand. We got outshot something like 43 to 26. Glenn Healy made 15 unbelievable saves. But I don't remember any of that. (laughs) And then we get into overtime, and David Volek, who had missed most of the year with back problems, and then he was a scratch. Uh, We get a two-on-one, and I feathered a pass over, and he beat Tom Barrasso. And, oh, man, I could hear heels. We were in Pittsburgh. I could hear Healy yelling from the far end of the ice as he came down the ice. It was so quiet. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was just stunned. And, and 
didn't Casparitis just drive Mario nuts? I think they played a montage of him slashing, no, yeah. and hooking, Casper, and holding. Casper would say before the game, today, today I get sixty-six. <laughs> right. And another day he'd go, today I get sixty-eight. Yeah. And you'd be, oh, he was a he was an absolute menace. Yeah. Yeah. What a run. And and so as much as you talk about how things came together for you guys, it really came together for Montreal in the next round. I mean, people don't. The Habs, I don't know, who, who was ranked higher? I guess the Habs were, but not by much. Yeah. It wasn't by much. No, it came together all playoffs for them. They yeah. won 10 overtime games. Right, insane. You can't do that, except they did. It was their yep. year. It was their time. Yep, absolutely. Um, good run. Uh, and and did, so did you think, I mean, look, again, you came into, this, into the playoffs as a lower seed, but were you like, hey, we got something here. We can keep this together. Maybe the next year we can do something. Maybe you know, maybe this is the start of something. And you, oh yeah, yeah. And then you, um, okay. But this is how quick it goes. Yep. So, and this is why when you hear teams say, oh, you know, next year we'll we can do this. Or uh, sometimes it's your time, and you better take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. So Glenn Healy left as a free agent. He signed with the Rangers. Yep. And so now we don't have a goalie. So. Our general manager was Don Maloney, and he made a trade with Quebec for Ron Hextall and a flip-flop of first-round picks. We, Yui Krupp went to Quebec. We got Ron Hextall, and they flipped first-rounders. So we lost one of our top four defensemen and our goalie, mm-hmm. and we replaced him with Ron Hextall, who by this time had had several hip surgeries. He just wasn't the goalie that yeah. he used to be. So the flip-flop of first-round picks, Quebec got Adam Deadmarsh, and we got Brett Lindros. Yeah. And it was that quick. Yep. Then the year, we struggled a bit, and then near the end, he traded Pierre Turgeon and Vladimir Malakoff to Montreal for Kirk Muller and uh, Matthew Schneider. Yep. It was over. Yeah, things were done. It was done. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, you know, my contract ended at the end of 95. And um, uh, I, I ended up uh, going to the Rangers yep. as a free agent. And, and then it was, a, you know, well over a decade of ineptitude in, in Long <laughs> Island. I, you know, the, until the Islanders beat Florida yep. uh, two years ago in a playoff series, the last time they had won a playoff series, I was in it. Yeah, that was. But when some of the Islander fans were coming, co- kind of coming down on you for being negative towards the Islanders yeah. over those years, and and that was your line. You're like, do you know how long I've been broadcasting for? <laughs> yeah, like I, I had. So I, I was actually broadcasting the game. I did the game for NBC. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it was that long, and so, you know, things didn't go smoothly for them. I, you know, I left to a. You know, a far more lucrative deal with the Rangers, and yeah. the Rangers were a year and a half off a Stanley Cup, and um, you know, so I signed a four-year deal and in, in New York with the Rangers, and it was really cool to play in the city, to you know, to be a well, you know, in a important, uh, noteworthy market, and then it lasted seven months, and uh, Mark Messier, among others, traded me to. <laughs> I guess the GM was involved, uh, but I got traded to um, uh, to Los Angeles. I mean, yeah, they they trusted their their guys from the, the old days. The cup so runs, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They acquired Yari Curry, 
and Marty McSorley uh, and Shane Sherlock from the Kings. Mm-hmm. And myself and Maddie Nordstrom and Ian LaPerriere and Nathan Lafayette went to the Kings. Um, and uh, I was crushed. Let's, uh, I want to, so that's the first time you hit free agency, right? And, and the rules are so much different yeah. back then compared to now. But so you're in year uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, 11. you're in like year 12, and you're finally a free agent. Like, uh, yeah, no, no, I because I didn't start till I was twenty. Okay, so I would say that I was probably year nine or ten. Eight. Yeah, Something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe it looks like eleven, if my math's right. Um, so your three-year deal from Hartford, that you were then you were restricted. Was it that kind of way no, back then? You were restricted forever. Yeah. Okay. So three years, and then Hartford just signed you for another three years, or how did that go? Uh, no, I think I signed for two years after that. Okay. Uh, so that got me to five, then I signed three. But you were never in a position of strength. You were ne- They were like, hey, oh. we own your rights. Okay, and- yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I was in a position of strength. I scored 40 goals with Hartford. Yeah. And I got a raise from uh, 125000 to two hundred grand. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's percent-wise, that's a good increase in pay, but... Yeah. yeah. So, like, I, I, I don't, I don't have any bitterness about it. It's just the numbers were, were what they were at that time. But also, we had no, there was no chance of moving, Steve. Mm-hmm. So the teams had you all the time. There was yeah. nowhere to go. Yep. What were you going to do? Oh, I want more money. Good for you. Yeah. So it was really. You know, I want a yeah. longer term. Good for you. You know. Yeah, so did you have any, like, protracted contract talks with you, you and your agent and, and either Hartford or the Islanders in that time? Or was it what you were, like no. you said, you just like, okay? No, I, yeah. I think a couple of years I got into training camp, kind of negotiating the last little bit. Right. But, I mean, I, I wasn't yep. the type that was going to hold out. Um, that just wasn't my personality. Mm-hmm. And there, there was no grand movement coming. The, the movement I had was when I signed a two-year deal with the Islanders, um, my contract was 675 725 um, And every year they calculate the, the league average salary. And if you're a certain number of years in the league mm-hmm. and you're under the league average, you become an unrestricted free agent. Yep. That, were the, that was the rules then. So I get a phone call on, like, June 28th. My contract's up July, uh, June 30th yep. from my agent, Steve Bartlett. And he goes, uh, I got some good news for you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, what's that? And he said, I just calculated or released the average salary. It's 745 So by twenty grand, I was under yeah. the league average. Yeah. So I became an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, and the Islanders. Yeah. I got one phone call from Mike Milbury. Um, he said, "Look, you're unrestricted, and we're not going to be able to match what you're going to get." Right. Um, so good luck to you. Yeah, and that was it. And Dallas was strong. It was Dallas or Rangers for you. Yeah, I was in Dallas, and uh, they had offered four years at one point one per. Yep. And um, uh, I ended up. I got a call from Steve Bartlett, and he said, "I'm." negotiating in with the Rangers as well. Don't agree to anything. And I got four years at 1.6 million from uh, the Rangers. Yeah. That's a, and that's so, a big difference. And now yeah. you got to remember, Oh, it's a huge yeah. difference. Yep. 
I mean, no tax in Dallas, so, you know, that mitigated the difference a little bit. Um, But Dallas had just missed the playoffs, and it was a new, kind of a new thing. They did not practice rink or anything, and I I wasn't really super comfortable there. Mm -hmm. And the Rangers were the Rangers, and they were, as I said, 18 months away, or past the Stanley Cup, and, you know, and they had Brian Leach and Mark Messier and... So it seemed like the right thing to do. And I was familiar with the New York area. Yeah. yeah so cool. I ended up signing there. Cool place to live, as you've talked about many times. It was really, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. I liked it. I liked yep. it a lot. And I wish I would have got to stay a lot longer. And, um, you know, I had 25 goals in 54 games and I got traded. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know what else I was going to do. And so I got traded to LA and I hated it because uh, the Kings, you know, Gretzky had been traded earlier that year. It was clear they were in a full rebuild. Um, and I was there about, I don't know, six weeks, and I'm like, the team stinks, Yep. but man, do I like living out here. <laughs> the Manhattan Beach is sweet. <laughs> you know, and so, um, you know, my, my family stayed behind because the kids were finishing school, and uh, I mean, this is how time goes. I mean, Matt and Landon were in elementary school, yeah. and now Matt's 30 and Landon's right. 27. And um, so... Uh, you know, I had three years left on my contract, and uh, we moved to L.A. And the only thing that's the only two things that stunk was the team wasn't very good, uh-huh. and we had to practice forty five minutes away because that they didn't have the practice rink. Built. Right. So that was it. But I I loved my time in L.A. And you know, uh, people say, "Gee, isn't it hard to concentrate?" You know, you're in the great weather. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You drive to practice. You get your windows open. You enjoy your enjoy your coffee on the way, listen to the radio or whatever you're listening to, practice, come back, drive. Some, I'd have a book in the back, and uh, sometimes I'd just stop, throw my chair down, and mm-hmm. sit on the beach for an hour before I went home. Like I loved it. Yeah. And the kids loved it. Yeah. And um, you know, I I wish I had been there when the Kings got good, um, because it was it's a it's an awesome place. If I wasn't living in Vancouver, I would be living in LA. Yeah, that's yeah. that's how much I yeah, love. It's I, I lived there too for I lived in Anaheim for four years, so it's really yep, it's really nice. Um, you were involved. Well, first of all, you go back to the Rangers. You really you made a joke about <clears throat> excuse me, Mark Messier, but was that part of it? You didn't gel with Mark, and he didn't think you maybe were intense enough or whatever. You know the old cliches about. Well, you know, I don't think. I don't think anybody that's ever met me thought the problem was I wasn't intense enough. Okay. Like that, yeah. that was yeah, I'm the just, problem. I'm just saying like, what, um, what do you, you know. I, my, my issue, um, you know, and it, you know, Neil Smith, who sort of traded me, because <laughs> right. he never did. Yes, he never, he actually, never did call me. Yeah. He never did call me and tell me I was traded. Colin Campbell, Coley, who's with the league called yeah. me and told me I was traded. Anyway, I'm reading the next day in the paper, um, you know, we're worried that he's too small for the playoffs. And and it pissed me off because, as I said at the time, I was the same size when they signed <laughs> yeah. me. To a four-year like, deal. I didn't shrink. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't shrink. And yeah. so I think, you know, my thought was they, they thought I would be a different player, whatever that means. Um, you know, they were more comfortable with the Edmonton guys. You know, because uh-huh. Kevin Lowe was there and Mark was there. And, you know, I mean, they held enormous sway yeah. with the organization. And, 
if you look at the trade, I mean, they traded away a 21-year-old defenseman in Matty Nordstrom. That was a colossal blow. Oh, yeah. He was great. He had a great career. And Yari Curry could barely move because he'd had hip problems. He was at the very tail mm-hmm. end of his career. And he was a winger, and they played him at center. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and Marty McSorley wasn't the player he was a few years earlier. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no question that there were a lot of forces at play there. The simple fact was they didn't think I could produce in the playoffs. That must have been it. Yeah. Because I, mean, I had 25 goals in 54 games. So I was producing at oh, a absolutely. pretty damn good pace. Yep. Well, you just, you know, you led your team 13 goals in 18 games in, in 93 run. You're, 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 you know. But it didn't yeah. matter. You know, at that time, it didn't know. matter. Right. And so I got traded. I, I got traded out to L.A. And, you know, aside from living in L.A., which I loved, um, it began the start of my broadcasting career yeah. as well. And so, um, you know, you're supposed to look at change with an open mind. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I did, but a couple of things fell at my feet, which were life-changing for me. And um, I'm eternally grateful for that trade. Uh, you played for Larry Robertson, who was a coach, and I've always thought always had good teams and, all, you know, he won a cup and just cerebral kind of guy, great player. Uh, what's it like playing for Larry, coach, uh, you know, playing for Larry Robinson? One of the nicest people I've ever met in the game. Like too nice uh, to be a coach almost? Uh, a little bit, yeah. especially in his first couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, just an, just an, a super nice person. Yep. Um, smart. We just weren't good enough. Um, I think, well, he could have been harder on us for sure, and maybe that would have helped. Um, but, I, I mean, we didn't have, we didn't have enough you know, to, to really compete. We started to make some trades and changes that started to pay dividends. You know, they acquired Glenn Murray from Pittsburgh. Um, they got Joseph Stumple from Boston. Um, these became very, very important parts of the team as the team got better. Rob Blake was emerging as a leader, our captain, a Hall of Fame player. You know, like there were some yeah. things coming. It just... They didn't come fast enough. So, and for me, Robitaille came back was, at some point. I think maybe, oh, yeah. maybe it maybe it was fast enough. But um, you know, of the things that didn't go well in LA was yeah. that's when I started to get hurt, and um, you know, I I hurt my knee and had multiple knee surgeries when I was there. I I left LA not the same player that I entered. Yeah, do you remember? A lot of guys remember the hit. The incident? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. What, what started Every it for time. you? Uh, Jeff Bukaboom hit me on the boards. It was, in my opinion, it was late, but that was the way the, the game was at yeah, that yeah. time. Right. You know, so I got the puck on the left boards. I was in New York um, uh, playing against the Rangers, and I chipped the puck off the glass out of the zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Book, who was a teammate a year earlier, you know, weighed about 200 and yeah. Big guy. whatever pounds, 30 pounds, heavy man. Uh, hit hit me and I tore my MC, uh, tore my meniscus and MCL uh, in my left knee and that was the start of what became five surgeries in that knee. Yeah, right there. Yep, you're right there. And so I, I don't know. I mean, it was bad luck. Sure, um, I wish it didn't happen. It robbed me of years of productivity uh, because I just I battled that thing for a long time. Really, till the end of my career. You you did set your career high in penalty minutes. 
in your first full se- season with LA, by the way, 112. Very angry. Uh, no, I just frustrated. Like I, I don't know. I can't remember it, but I can guarantee you it was frustration. Right. There's no reason for me to have 112 penalty minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and I think if you look back, I had like 109 or 10 one year in Hartford. You did. Yeah, 109. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm guessing the year before I had a good year. It was. Yep. And the year I had 109, I must have taken a dip. You did. Yeah. You, you by 16 goals. Well, there you go. Yep. So, yeah. I, I know my personality. <laughs> right. And so right. I can guarantee you a lot of those were slashing penalties. Yeah. Just just angry at, and then later on in, in L.A., just angry. Yeah. Yeah. Just just pissed right. off at everything. Right. Yeah. You only made the playoffs one time in L.A. in uh, in four seasons, five seasons there. So, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, okay, so 98-99, uh, again, knee inj- injuries again, 65 games, uh, 40 games a year before that. You're a free agent again. You're a UFA again, and uh, it's time to go on the market. But unfortunately, you're, yeah. you're not coming from a position of strength. Yeah, the year, the first time was a good spot. Yeah. The second time was, okay, who wants an older guy who's had multiple knee surgeries? <laughs> Put your hands. And the please, answer was your not many, yeah. not many, and all at one-year deals. Yeah, And so the real problem becomes as you get older, Steve, is uh, for many players, is now you've got a family, you've got kids in school, and signing one-year deals is really hard because you either have to leave your family behind or you take them for one year, hope you can get a second year, and now you start bouncing around and, and you move school to school for the yeah. kids, yeah. city to city. Yeah. And you can say, oh, yeah, everything's an adventure. But it's it's hard for the kids. You know, like every year, Matt and Landon were the new kids in their class. Yeah. If I do that. These are things that and, people never think about. Fans, you know. No, and they don't care because they yep. say, well, you make a lot of money. Well, it is true, but these are your kids. And these are, they do, I would like to have had a job with more stability. However, I just didn't. Mm-hmm. And so... I was looking for a two-year deal, and my agent, Steve Bartlett, and I said, okay, let's give this the month of July, Yep. and if we can't take a two-year, if we can't get a two-year deal, we'll take a one-year deal. We'll decide yep. August 1st, um, because I still had a good reputation that, you know, you, yeah. what you would be getting was a competitive player. Um, you'd get what I had to give. Yep. So the two-year deal popped up, I'd say, around the the 10th or so of July from Atlanta. And I didn't, I didn't want to sign it because yeah. it was an expansion team. I could look at the expansion roster and say, Oh, Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, it's going to be a tough year, but it was by far financially the best and stability wise, the best. And so by about the 18th or 19th of July, I took the two year deal in Atlanta. Nothing else was going, just one year, nothing else was coming. Nothing. One, yeah. one year deal. Yeah. Um, in the 750 range, and this was a wow. two-year deal at uh, 1.1. Guys are saying one year at 750. That had to have been a little bit of a hit. I mean, look, yeah, you're not coming off a great year, but you are Yeah, but it, it, was, yeah. it wasn't even the great year. It was, I mean, certainly that played into yeah. it, Steve, but it was the injuries. That, yeah, yeah. Like, they're looking at a guy that played 45 or 46 games a year before, mm-hmm. and you're like, man, what, you know, what has he got in the tank? I could tell them all day long yeah. that – 
I, I was healthy, but they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, we got to see. Still, it. though, 750, what was the minimum that year ish? Oh, I mean, 400. Oh, I was going to say it was around 550 or something, but. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So. I, I, I don't yeah. know, but I, I wasn't anticipating um, uh, yeah. a great benefit yep. going to come my way. But I, I got to say this because we, we sort of glossed over this, but. Okay. I, I did know at this point. You know, I had way more road behind me than in front of me mm-hmm. as a player. And I was really fortunate when I went to L.A. that I had started the broadcast. And uh, in the offseat or in the playoffs, because the Kings never made the playoffs, I was now doing NHL tonight. Yeah. I was starting to build a resume where it was really well received. And I was starting to hear from other people, um, hey, when you're done. Yeah. Uh, let us know because we didn't were interested in maybe talking to you. So it gave me a little bit of comfort to chase a little bit of the game because I knew yeah, yeah. that this broadcasting was going to be there. And so the guy at ESPN, his name was Barry Sachs. Um, he was a longtime Ranger fan. He was in charge of the talent, as they call on-air people, the talent at ESPN, too. And so he had seen me do interviews for years with the Islanders and Rangers and thought this might be a guy that could do broadcasting. So he called me. I went in to do studio stuff. He liked me. He said, would you like to come back longer next year? Yeah, it's, like, it's, that's it's, how, a, it's a testament. That's I got in. It's a testament that this guy just saw you with Fischler or, you know, Sam Rosen or whoever here and there, and he spotted something like – Shit, those interviews and those things that happen in in the middle of a game, like you're not necessarily like, oh, that guy's got a like. This guy had that's really cool that he spotted this. Whatever the, the, the it was, one interview, yeah. the one interview that people cite about, um, hey, this is a guy that might be able to broadcast. Yeah. It was an interview with Stan Fischler. It was right after the game where we knocked out the Penguins in Game Seven. Okay, I'm I'm standing at the locker room door. And Stan somehow got there. <laughs> and as they're loading the bags around us, we did this interview. Uh-huh. And I watched the interview. I have very little recollection of it. Um, I can hear in my voice the excitement yeah. of what we've just done. But I also, I'm, I kind of look at myself and go, how the hell did I even spew that stuff out? <laughs> Like, you know, like yeah. I don't, there were times, and, and even now, Steve, like I'll say things in broadcasting and I'm like, I don't know where they come from. They just, yeah. they just show up. Like when John Tavares scored the, the pile or the goal to win against Florida, I talked about being, if you're lucky enough to have a cornerstone player, I had never really given that any thought. Yeah. And I don't know why it comes out. And I, I, it just, yeah. it just does, and and I guess it's it's fortunate. But that interview yeah, that, is, is with Stan Fischler. That's the one that Barry Sachs right. talked about, and I'm always grateful to Barry for giving me my start. Yeah, you know, it's funny, and and you just, yeah, you just have guys that can do it and guys that can't. Uh, TSN hired Carlo Koliakovo. Um, uh, he was playing in Germany, and he was come over in the summer, and I heard him a few times on, on different shows, and he was great. And now they've hired him full time, and like you just, I just think you have it or you don't as a player, and and you know you have it, and you were one of the guys that had it, and 
it's 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 a it's a cool thing that that uh, they gambled on it and and they won and you liked it too. You enjoyed it, you know. I did. It was yeah. It was fun. Um, I do. I did like it. I viewed it as something like, wow, maybe this will really yeah. move into something. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. And then it became even more of a focus when I retired going into my last year, um, you know, my marriage had, had broken up and my ex-wife was moving to Vancouver. So that's where I was going because yeah. that's where the kids were going. And so I ended up in Vancouver and I got a phone call to audition for the Oilers color job. Now, had I not moved to Vancouver, I wouldn't have been in the mix for the Oiler job. I literally retired yeah. in May and started in October. I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> but it was all that fortuitously it worked together, and the broadcasting became a second career. Because I did, I, it was there, Steve. I knew it was a possibility. Yeah. But I always had, you know, I'd like to get into management. I'd like to get into coaching. I, yeah, I yeah. like that part. But once I got divorced, I was like, I can't run around the country and not be around the kids. They were 13 and 10. Yep. And I was like, I just... You gotta, gotta be there. I, I can't do that. I mean, other people find a way to make it work, and I was like, I just cannot do that. To wrap it up, you're three years in Atlanta. You've told us hilarious stories. You guys are like a band of brothers. There's trying times. 18 different goalies passed through those three years that you were there. Um, and, and it was a lot of losing. But in that, you found, sounds like, as an older guy, as a veteran guy, you did find some fun in there. You didn't like living there, but, you know, you did find some fun in that. And, and, and there are some great stories for people who want to go search our archives. Uh, I'll tell you, sometimes being bad is better. <laughs> right. Um. I wouldn't wanted to do that for my whole career. No. But there're just things that happen and happen on bad teams that you just can't believe. And you're like <laughs> like you can't even I can't even sum it up in no one or two or five stories, but go back and find the stories. I mean they're they're endless. Striker, striker. You know, our pilot looked like striker from the um, from the old airplane yeah. movies. We had we won fourteen games our first year. Yeah. You know, like it, it just goes from one to the other. And I I will say there is, you know, as you get older, of course, you see old buddies and you tell stories. And I don't know if I laugh harder. Yeah telling stories than anytime I'm connected to one of the old Thrasher guys because it was absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> I, I ran into uh, Nat Domichelli, who, who played there for a few years, and Nat is an agent. He lives in Switzerland. Oh, I didn't know he's an so agent. I see him, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I see him every year at the World Championship, mm -hmm. and we talk business and I'm really interested in what he does, and I'm, I think it's so cool that he's found a way to build a life in Switzerland. He speaks German, and oh, I just yeah. I, I think it's really cool. But inevitably, we get back to the Thrashers, <laughs> and one coffee or two beers isn't enough. Yeah, and uh, it's 
the, the time in Atlanta sucked from a playing perspective. I'm super proud of the second year. 29 um, goals. When I, 29 yeah, I had 76 goals. points yep. playing with Andrew Brunette and Donald Audette. We were one of the league's best lines. Yep. I'm really super proud of that. But at the end of year three, my body, my knees basically said, we're done. Yeah. yeah. And so I left and I was okay leaving. I was okay retiring. Yeah, you said that. I missed yep. it. You knew that. Yeah, I miss it and I missed it. Um, but I played 18 years and I think the way that I really understood it was I dreamed that as a little boy mm-hmm. and I got to live my dream. And how many people can really say that? And you got traded to St. Louis. You got to end it in the playoffs, you know, in, in yeah. where everything matters. What is what another thing talking about playoffs and everybody dreams about that. You didn't just go out on a, yeah. you know, thrasher team. That was bad. No, and you know, another cool thing, I guess, as I look at that was, you know, my career ended in Joe Lewis Arena, mm-hmm. and my son Landon's first NHL game was yeah. in Joe Lewis. Yeah. And so the circle was tied, and, man, I just I, I love that little bit of stuff that Landon and I will always have in common. And, um, hell, it was, a, it was a great career. Do I wish we won a Stanley Cup somewhere? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. But you know what? I'm, I'm content. Uh, I'm proud of my career. I wish we would have won for sure, but I played with some awesome guys, and yeah. it gave me a springboard into a into a terrific second career. Yeah, it's fantastic. Twelve hundred and fifty eight games played, four hundred eight goals. That's uh, our two part pulp hockey podcast from Trail Smoke Eaters to the St. Louis Blues and everything in between, and the ups and the downs. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I'm really glad we did this. I'm glad our listeners can hear it we've heard bits and pieces of this of course and we will continue to hear bits and pieces of it but i just thought we'd get something all you know all on on audio uh uh file to talk about yeah no it's uh it's it's always interesting to go back and think about it because you remember so much more yeah and and um so this was fun to do i hope i hope everybody enjoyed it next year or next year next week we'll be um jammed into the start of the season which we're all looking forward to and you know some final pieces will be you know maybe a little bit more clear we'll go through predictions which will all be wrong and um you know you know last year seven teams that didn't make the playoffs the previous year made it yep you know i wonder how many there'll be this year we'll we'll talk about that we'll we'll get a guest we'll yeah up the season and um and look forward to getting it all going. Fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, I got the Knights Flyers on my birthday next week. Season opener. So that'll be. Will Gritty be there? <laughs> I don't know if they'll fly Gritty in or not. That'd be great. Gritty should come they're, there they're... and do the battle before the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd like to see him and uh, Chance, the lizard guy, the yellow lizard guy. Oh, no, guy. no. I'm, I'm talking oh. about against when the guys with the. You oh, know, the, the the flaming the, arrows and crossbows and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think right. I think gritty might be the first person to get through. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. That'd be great. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. Get it wherever you get podcasts from. Tell a friend while you're at it, and uh, leave a review on iTunes. Everything else, uh, we'd love to to hear from you. And thanks again for listening. Thank you, Ray, for sharing the story. And uh, we will talk next week, man. Thanks. You betcha, Steve. Thanks, uh, everybody. Enjoy, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.